Welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast, the latest on citrus research from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network. Welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast. I'm your host, Frank Giles. This month, speaking at Florida Citrus Mutual's annual conference in Bonita Springs, Dr. Scott Engel, the leader of the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences, reaffirmed the urgency the institution has placed on finding viable solutions to HLB. This includes presenting the citrus industry with a roadmap document to lay out UF-IFAS HLB research priorities and objectives. One of the approaches will be turning over every stone in the search for solution. This includes UF-IFAS researchers traveling to other citrus-producing regions across the globe to assess the impact of HLB and how growers are dealing with the disease. Christopher Vincent embarked on one such trip recently to Nepal. Let's hear what he has to say about his journey and visit with local growers there. I'm now joined by Christopher Vincent. He is a citrus tree environmental physiologist. Uh, Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Great. Well, Christopher, I understand you recently had some uh, travel overseas to look at some citrus uh, overseas. So tell us a little bit about where you went and the purpose of the trip. Yeah, so I went to Nepal in April. And uh, this was a USAID-funded trip managed by the Catholic Relief Services in Nepal. And uh, the purpose of the trip was to kind of assess the situation uh, in a couple of production areas, uh, particularly assess the situation as it pertains to citrus greening, um, which uh, is uh, an issue that's become more and more important to them recently. Great. And just talk a little bit about the citrus footprint in the country. You know, what does it look like? You know, where where are they growing? Um, and maybe how it's different than here in Florida. Yeah, so uh, visually it's strikingly different from in Florida because uh, citrus is produced on uh, mountainsides. Uh, you know, small mountains by their standards, but within view of the Himalayas. Uh, so it looks quite different. Um and, uh, and because of the mountainous terrain, the, the citrus production is actually broken up to, into a large number of somewhat isolated production regions. Uh, each region kind of tends to specialize in a particular set of varieties and, um, and has a particular niche market. And I'm assuming most of this is fresh fruit for citrus? That's right. Uh, they grow sweet oranges and mandarins, but but the the uh, market is is fresh fruit for both. And um, HLB greening, what does it look like there relative to here? I mean, is it as a severe situation over there as it is here? Yeah. So that's a that's an interesting question and one that uh, is is not as easy to answer as it as I thought it would be at first. Uh, certainly, uh, they, the first report of citrus screening in Nepal is from 1968. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that it didn't exist there before, but certainly at that point they had a major problem with it in one particular produ- production region. Um, there are a lot of symptoms of tree decline, and 
uh, as a lot of people will know, it's very difficult to distinguish uh, citrus greening from, say, the effects of uh, nutrient deficiencies and, and lack of water, say. Um, the, pro the production system there is quite different from the, one here, the ones here in Florida in that uh, you have very, very small uh, farmers, small land area, uh, and, uh, and those growers have very little capital to invest in their production. Uh, so relatively low resource farming, uh, but they also receive a very high share of of the returns. And so, in terms of in terms of citrus screening, a lot of times, you know, what they would have was actually you know nu nutrient deficiency. You know, many of those trees were infected with sea lass. Some local researchers had had uh, you know done that, had done PCR testing, and identified. Uh, the presence of, of uh, sea lass bacteria in the leaves. And so, the, and so because of that, we know that greening is present. However, one, one important thing that we saw was that growers who were practicing good irrigation practices and good uh, uh, mineral nutrient practices in terms of you know, uh, applying the, all the fertilizer that was recommended for healthy trees really did not have a decline problem. They certainly had the bacterium there, and you could see symptoms here and there, uh, but those that were practicing good horticultural practices really didn't have a major problem with HLB. And in fact, before I went, the extension service had been recommending the removal of any tree that was detected as positive. Um, and I went and numerous growers came to me and said, we are not going to remove our trees. I don't care what you say. We know how to deal with this situation and we're, and look at my trees, they look great. So, so don't tell me to cut down my trees. <laughs> um, at least that's what I was told that they said through a translator. <laughs> uh, and, um, and so definitely we saw pretty stark differences between people who were practicing good fertilization and irrigation and those, and those who weren't. Uh, sometimes they weren't because they said, you know, they couldn't find fertilizer, they couldn't afford fertilizer or uh, in certain areas they didn't have access to uh, irrigation water. Um, but those that were able to do those things had, by and large, very healthy trees that were highly productive. Uh, and in fact, we saw a few stories in which the trees had been in major decline and people had changed their practices uh, and really revolutionized the, the health of the trees that they were dealing with, you know, large trees more than 30 years old that had declined and then have recovered uh, through better irrigation practices, for example. Um, another big difference about the situation in Nepal between Florida and, and Nepal is that their soils are a lot heavier. Uh, so um, good soil fertility and, and water status is a lot easier to come by. Uh, so, for instance, a lot of growers weren't used to irrigating because at all because, well, you know, it only gets dry once a year. You know, the weather patterns are pretty similar, but uh, it only gets dry once a year, so why should we worry about that the rest of the time? There's plenty of moisture. Um, but irrigation during the dry season, especially in some of the slightly drier areas, turns out to have been like a major contributor to plant health. <clears throat> That's interesting. I think that kind of reinforces some of the things growers have learned here too. Is you know, 
the new treatments and all uh, and therapies people are excited about, but it can't be done. You've got to have that foundation of a good irrigation and nutrient program is key, probably all over the world, I guess. Yeah. So I mean, so so what I was what I was kind of what we kind of the conclusions we kind of came to as initial conclusions, right? It's only a two week trip. You can't learn everything that that you need to know, but. Um, the initial conclusions that we came to was we need a plant health focused strategy, right? So that includes uh, mitigating the the spread, you know, uh, vector management. Um, that was another thing that we saw was a relatively low vector populations, you know, compared to the situation that we often see, say, like this time of year in Florida. Um, and 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 because of that, a lower proportion of positive trees, which is really nice for them. Um, and so we said, okay, well, start by focusing on vector management, but also at the same time focus on just plant health management, good horticultural practices, uh, everything. In their case, because because they are small, uh, small scale growers, uh, they can do things like uh, selective pruning and that sort of thing to help improve their plant health. Um, and then also just just those basics, right? Water and nutrients, uh, feed those trees well, get them healthy. Uh, to start with, and then the disease will have a lesser impact. Uh, you know, not to ignore the the disease component, but but to complement uh, disease management with just general plant health management. As a follow up, uh, will you keep in touch with some of the growers you met there, or just keep track of their progress as 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 this uh, proceeds forward? Yeah, and actually, uh, right now with some with some researchers there in Nepal, we're putting together some proposals to try to do some collaborative work between the two to try to better understand uh, just kind of what types of environmental conditions lead to worse or better uh, outcomes in terms of in terms of uh, disease symptoms. Uh, we have some things that we can study here in Florida, but uh, one of the nice things, nice in the sense of for a researcher. One of the nice things about uh, uh, an environment like the one in Nepal is that you have really big environmental gradients along the side of one mountain. Right, the top of the mountain is much cooler than the than the bottom, uh, so we can we can use that as a natural experiment to say, okay, well, hey, look, the disease cycle is more intense here, or or the uh, or the symptoms appear to be more severe in one location versus another, and kind of understand a little bit better that interaction between the uh, disease and the tree, but also the diseased tree with the environment, which of course is that's environmental physiology. Is what I do. <laughs> all in all, it just helps you under better understand the disease and different, like you said, different environments, and that could yield some benefits to growers there as well in as in Florida too. That's exactly right, and my you know my hope there is that better understanding interactions. You know, even if we're even if we're studying it in the context of you know a Nepali hillside, which is totally different from a Florida plain, uh, what we learn about how the environment impacts the the disease physiology of the tree may be translatable into some horticultural practices. Great. Well, with that, I think we'll wrap it up. I appreciate your time and good talking to you. Awesome. Thank you. We are joined now by Larry Duncan. Uh, he's a professor at the University of Florida in the entomology department. And he's joining us today to talk about uh, a citrus entomology course. And Larry, welcome. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate uh, the opportunity, Frank. Great to have you on. Uh, 
just to get us started, tell us what the name of this course is. Yeah, the course is called Citrus Pest Management, and it's listed as PMA 5205 in the course catalogs. Um, if, you, if you're a student, this is a course also for uh, people in the industry. You don't have to be a student at the University of Florida to take the class. Right, and I think this, this course has been around for a number of years, but just tell us about its history and some of the, you know, the high points of sure. what, what people will be learning if they uh, take the course. Sure. Um, this course was started in the late 1980s. I don't remember the exact year, but we started it uh, approximately 1989. And at that time, uh, we decided to give a team-taught course at the Citrus Research and Education Center, and it was aimed primarily at our graduate students and uh, any students on campus that wanted to come down, as well as uh, at people in the industry, production managers, or even people who owned orchards, or people that were, um, you know, uh, interested in buying Groveland, that sort of thing, have taken the course over the years. And so it was designed, you know, more or less to be able to accommodate all of those people. So the way the course is set up, is that it's always been taught on Wednesday afternoon, starting late in the afternoon at three o'clock. And we teach it for three hours each week uh, for 16 weeks. And that allows us to cover all the various topics. And it's, it's reasonably convenient then for people outside of the uh, university to, to be able to get to the class. Uh, doesn't have a lot of demands on their time, just one day a week, uh, late in the day. And yeah, makes it more flexible. I'm assuming too, I mean, obviously, uh... This course has been around since uh, before the Asian citrus psyllid uh, that we know of, at least. So uh, yeah. I guess this this course evolves over time as pest challenges evolve over time. Is that correct? Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, Florida and Florida citrus industry has invasive pests constantly. Of course, nothing to the degree that citrus greening has been. So it has, you know, it has had to adjust to various things like the increase in post-bloom fruit drop and, you know, trying to understand what was happening with citrus blight at one time and citrus canker was a big issue that uh, needed to be, uh, you know, was a big part of the course. It still is. Um, but after citrus greening arrived, then everything changed, of course, uh, because all of the trees in all of Florida's groves, essentially, unless they're covered, you know, at, when they're very young, are infected with citrus greening. And citrus greening reduces the root system on the trees almost immediately. So the tree's dealing with half as many roots. So you can imagine what that means for other diseases, and especially those, you know, kinds of diseases that affect the root system. So, yeah, it's had to uh, evolve completely, uh, looking at uh, the profitability of management under those conditions. Well, I, you know, I can imagine, too, there's been, you know, so much emphasis, and rightly so, so on the uh, psyllid and greening disease that it might be beneficial for some growers or production managers to kind of get a refresher on all the other ailments that, that can be out there. Uh, will this course help provide that? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, with that in mind... As you say, the grower is really focused and has been for 15 years on green. It's taking all of the investment and all of the money that goes into management of a grove these days is really targeted at dealing with the, the problem of citrus greening. So when you have other issues, you really need to know specifically what are they 
And then you need to understand the most profitable way of managing the situation because there's not a lot of extra money to go around these days. You know, the citrus greening has pretty much uh, doubled the cost of growing citrus. And uh, so it's really important to understand all of the other uh, issues that might be affecting the trees. Well, it sounds like a great learning opportunity. When will the when will the next round of this course be offered? We're going to give it this time uh, fall semester coming right up in August. And uh, so it'll run for the entire semester. So I believe the first class is August the 23rd. And uh, it'll run through the first week, I believe, in uh, December would be the final exam on that class. Again, the course is you don't have to take the course for credit. If you're just interested in the information, uh, you can also enroll in the course and, uh, and take all of the classes. Good deal. And, and for anyone interested in learning more, what's the best place for them to go online to, to learn about it? Sure. Uh, for anything having to do with citrus in Florida, you want to go to the website of the Citrus Research and Education Center at the University of Florida. And on that website, you can find the contact information uh, for the class. You can look under the classes. We teach a number of classes uh, at CREC. And you can also find my contact information. I'm Larry Duncan, and you can find my email and, and phone number there as well. Great. Well, it sounds like a, a good, good course to take. Uh, anything else that you'd like to add? Nope, nope. Give it a try if uh, if you're in if you're in the industry. I know the students are are going to have uh, plenty of opportunity to enroll in this class, but sometimes uh, uh, growers aren't as aware until it's uh, until the class is halfway over. Well, good deal. Well, Larry, appreciate you joining us for the podcast, and we'll catch up with you soon. All right. Thanks very much, Frank. Thanks for listening to this month's All In for Citrus podcast from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network.